Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 425 of the podcast. It's Carrie Newhoff here, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I'm so excited to have Anthony O'Neill on the podcast today. And today's episode is brought to you by World Vision. You can sign up for their free web series, Right Side Up Soul Care, with Danielle Strickland over at worldvision.org slash carry. And by the Unstuck Group. You can take the free Unstuck Church Assessment at theunstuckgroup.com slash carry. That's C-A-R-E-Y. Well, Anthony O'Neill is a number one national best-selling author, financial expert, and host of the popular online series, The Table, on his YouTube channel. He is the author of The Graduate Survival Guide, Debt-Free Degree, and Destroy Your Student Loan Debt. And since 2015, he served at Ramsey Solutions, where he teaches young adults how to budget, live without debt, avoid student loans, all those good things. And you can connect with him anywhere online or at Anthony O'Neill, and that's O-N-E-A-L.com. And uh, Anthony and I talk about a lot of things, including buying his dream car with cash and having a wreck, or as we would say in Canada or other places, an accident within like a day, I think it was, of actually owning that car, what that feels like and what it's like to have financial margin. I have lived without financial margin. I have lived with financial margin. And if you are a regular listener, you probably know that I believe uh, it doesn't really matter how much you make. You can make very little and have margin and make a lot and not have any. And so we go all those places. I hope this just makes you, you know, just gives you some insights along the way. Anyway, super excited to have Anthony with me. Thank you to everybody who continues to leave ratings and reviews. I am so grateful for that. Jay, Thank you for yours. You said on Apple Podcasts, most beneficial podcast around. Uh, Jay says, I've been listening to the Kerry Newhoff Leadership Podcast since 2018 and for some reason have not left a review despite my intentions. Thank you, Jay. I made the decision to use my car times to do more than just listen to music on repeat, but to try and better myself. So I started with this podcast. This is the one I continue to go back to. Love the range of guests and what they bring. And then Jay appreciated this. He said, Carrie's interviewing skills continue to challenge me to be a better listener in my personal conversations and learn how to have authentic conversations. Thank you for everything you do, Carrie. Always a listener. Jay, man, that so encourages me. Thank you. Um, I am trying to become a better listener with every episode. I'm like 425 in, still working on it. (laughs) And uh, Hey, World Vision's got your back. It's been a very difficult and challenging season for leaders, and they would love to help you. And here's how they want to do it. They want to come alongside you just to encourage you as a leader. If you haven't yet checked out Danielle Strickland, she has a brand new series with World Vision called Right Side Up Soul Care. It's free, and leaders in the global church who have gone through a lot of suffering and Danielle will share how they have learned to practice their faith and feed their soul through difficult circumstances. So, just part of their heart for you. Check it out at worldvision.org slash carry. That's C-A-R-E-Y and it's worldvision.org slash carry. And for a lot of pastors, this has been a super challenging season and you're disappointed because attendance hasn't gone back to where you hoped it would. Growth might be okay, but it's slower than what you anticipated. And churches that were seeing a decline or plateau in their growth, we're also noticing right now that that trend is Uh, accelerating. So if you want to clarify your current reality, which is always a good idea, you can do that with the Unstuck Group's Unstuck Church Assessment. It's an online tool that helps you assess where your church sits today in the typical church life cycle, and it's free. And if you don't know the Unstuck Group, uh, I have used Tony Morgan and their team at different times to help me get unstuck in my leadership, and they're helping hundreds of churches like yours clarify their starting point and chart a path forward. So you can take the free assessment today at the unstuck group slash carry. That's the unstuck group slash carry. And you can even have a conversation with your team about where your church is today, where you believe you are called to go and how you're going to get there. So thanks so much to our partners who make this possible. Thank you to you for all you're doing. And now my conversation with Anthony O'Neill. Anthony, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Oh, Carrie, thank you so much for having me, man. It's such an honor to be on your show. I've been following your podcast for a minute, so 
the fact that I get to sit here and have a conversation with you, I am super excited. So again, thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, the honor's all mine. I got to tell you. So we're going to talk a little bit about money today and money's an issue. Somebody told me this years ago, money's a problem whether you have it or not, right? It's just mm-hmm. like sometimes it causes problems because you have it. Sometimes it doesn't. But almost everybody these days has a debt story. Um, do you have a debt story? I know I do. Like young Carrie has a debt oh, story. Listen, man, uh, I have not just a debt story. I think I have the debt story. Okay. <laughs> you know, I graduated from high school in a very strong Christian faith home. I uh, grew up with four loving parents, two biological parents, two step parents uh, who are actually parents. So I have four great loving parents, wow. uh, but in a Christian faith home, man, grew up in Fayetteville, North Carolina. My father's a pastor there. So growing up, and you'll know this because you're, you're in a spiritual leadership role as well. Um, I couldn't, I, my parents had strict rules, no hip hop music, uh, no dating, uh, no kissing, none of that. If it didn't tie into the church and into, into the church world, we didn't talk about it. So that even means finances. The only conversation I had with my parents uh, was about tithing. When you get paid, give 10% to the Lord, but they didn't really spend time and teach me what to do with the other 90%. What's the difference between a credit card and a debit card, credit score and stuff like that. So when I graduated high school, I said, I'm done with this spiritual life. I went out there and went to college uh, and jumped straight into the world. And the culture taught me pretty much uh, how to be a young man and how to uh, pretty much deal with my finances. And within a matter of six months of me leaving my parents' home um, and being out on my own, the world taught me how to rack up debt. Let me say that again. The world taught me how to rack up debt, not how to be financially a good and how to be a good steward. So I'm barely 19 years old at the time. I'm $35,000 in debt, Carrie. $15,000 of that was credit card bills. $10,000 of that was uh, furnitures from, I won't say the name of the company, but from a buy here, pay here furniture place. Mm-hmm. Then another 10000 of that was uh, student loans. When I didn't even need student loans because I had my father's GI bill uh, from the army. And so the world taught me, yo, give whatever you can, be good. So I made a bad mistake. Um, in college, unfortunately, which cost me my college experience. I had to uh, drop out of college. And because of that mistake, um, unfortunately, I disappointed my parents. And my father said something to me that was so key and crucial in my life. And he said, hey, son, you told your mother a few months ago that you're a grown man. And so let me help you become a grown man for real. A grown man doesn't come back home since you lost your income, since you lost your job, since you got kicked out of school. And since you uh, are now thinking you're this grown man, go deal with it because a grown man doesn't come back home. So at the age of 19, not only am I in debt, but I don't have a place to live. All my friends and peers that I tried to impress uh, with others uh, that I tried to show off for, they loved me when I was on top. They loved me when I had all the money. But when I had nothing, not one of my friends back then offered me a place to lay my head, offered me a place to get something to eat, or even offered me a place to take a shower. So I'm homeless sleeping in the back of my car in San Diego, California, $35,000 in debt, um, contemplating suicide, uh, Mm. uh, questioning, uh, is Jesus Christ real? Questioning, does he even love me? Because if he loved me, why am I homeless? Why am I sleeping in the back of my car? I blamed everybody. Um, I remember taking baths and showers at the YMCA and the Boys and Girls Club Monday through Friday, and then having to wash myself in the back of my car Saturdays and Sundays with a Dawn detergent soap and a bucket of water. Uh, embarrassing, low, depressing time. Uh, But God quickly, quickly, quickly said something to me that shifted my whole spirit. And he said, the reason why you are where you are today was because of the poor decisions you made yesterday. And that to change the caliber of your future, you will have to change the caliber of your decisions today. And I quickly realized that I was blaming everyone else, but I had to change my decisions moving forward. And the very first decision that I made for it was, God, I'm sorry. I'm ready to come back into who you have designed me to be. God, I'm not, I'm not a man, and I'm ready to become a young man. So I rededicated my life in the backseat of my car to God. Haven't made all the right decisions to this day, uh, but that's the very first thing that I did. The number two was I went home and said, Mom, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm not a man. I'm a young man, and I want to learn. And here's what happened that shifted my whole life financially. My father told me, we accept your apology, but accept ours. We taught you how to tithe. We didn't teach you how to be a good steward of the 90%. So we're going to give you a whole year. And this whole year, you're going to get on a, a budget form. Uh, you're going to live throughout these principles. And son, you may lose some friends, but you need to get a job. You need to get out of debt. 
And my dad handed me a Dave Ramsey budget form almost 17 years ago. And it's so funny how I'm here today, uh, traveling around the world and, and, and helping people uh, get out of their financial situation with Dave Ramsey himself. And so 36 years old, turning 37 here, coming up in July, 100% debt-free and traveling around the world, teaching people, hey, we can make mistakes, but here's how we avoid debt. Here's how we build wealth. And here's how we really build a true lasting legacy. Man, oh man. What were some of the first, like that year when you went home? And thanks for sharing that story. How did you decide to break the addiction to spending? You know, because you're right, 35,000 in six months or whatever that was. That's like, and the world will just keep approving you and approving you and approving you. So how, how did you psychologically break out of that? You know, such a great question, man. And, you know, this is why I love your podcast, because you ask the real questions to make people think. Um, and, and I love that. Um, it, I was on the beach one day and it was me and my friend were sitting there, Carrie, and the guys uh, pulled up uh, back then in the late 90s, early 2000s. I don't know if you remember, um, but back then, you know, they had these things called spinner wheels. When you stopped the car, the wheels kept oh, spinning. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember spinners. <laughs> yeah, totally. My yeah. kids thought those are the coolest things ever. Oh, yeah. yeah. Me too. Dad, get some and spinners. So, get some spinners. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they even had spinner hubcaps back then. It, uh-huh. it, it was ridiculous. But we're all sitting on the beach on this one particular day. And all of my friends pull up. They pull up in Range Rovers, Lexuses, BMWs, Mercedes, spinner wheels, um, 212s, which is like these big sound things to keep your car from, you know, have your car sounding real good. And when they all stepped out of the car, man, it hit me that day. We all look good, but we're not good. Mm-hmm. We all have the nice flashy things, but all of us are going back home to our parents. All of us have asked each other to borrow five, 10 bucks just to get something to eat at McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Um, all of us, if we're not going home to our parents, we have like two, three, four, five roommates. We look like money, but we don't have any money. And that was the day that shifted my mindset of stop it. I told my boy that day, take me home, man. Take me home. And I never forget, I went home that day pulled out my budget form, looked at my income. And I said, yo, you need more income. I was working an eight to five job in collections, uh, collecting uh, other people's bills when I owe people bills as well. Uh-huh. Uh, but what I did was I went out there and got two other jobs. After that, I was washing car in the evenings and then delivering newspapers. And I said, you know what? I'm willing to say no so that one day I can say yes. I would tell myself, no, you're not going to get the Gucci backpack. No, you're not going to ha- have the nice spinner wheels. No, you may not drive the nicest car so that tomorrow... You can say yes to your dream car so that tomorrow you can say yes to the Gucci backpack if that's what you want. But my philosophy then was impress others. Now my philosophy is, no, impress myself. You know, build a solid foundation that you can build on so that one day when I do get married, I can say yes. You know, Carrie, prime thing, and I'll be quiet because you know I'm going to preach our hearts. You got to tell me to to be quiet when they're going to stop talking. You're doing great. Uh, But my mother, man, never had a wedding ring. She didn't get her wedding ring until her third year uh, of marriage. My mom and dad, uh, stepfather, have never been out of the country until I and my siblings sent them out of the country about two, three years ago. Growing up, we didn't go to Disney World. To this day, at 36 years old, I don't know what Disney World looks like. Why? Because my family lived paycheck to paycheck. Um, I remember having to put my socks up through my shoes because my parents didn't have enough funds uh, to have and to get us new shoes. I remember hearing my mom and dad argue a little bit over finances. So today I am willing to say no to a lot of things so that my family, my wife and I, my kids, I could tell them yes. And so that's how I really shifted my whole mindset of changing is I really identified the why. For you people who are listening, if you really want to shift your mindset, this is what you really want to write, write down. Identify your why. If your why doesn't make you cry, then the price of commitment will make you cry. And when I think about telling my kids no, I get, I get emotional. When I think about telling my wife, no, I get emotional. But when I think about telling my kids, yes, we're going to go to Israel. We're going to turn your Bible into a 3D format right here. You can <laughs> see where Jesus Christ walked. That gets me emotional. And when I get emotional, any obstacles that come before me, any temptation that comes before me, I can still push forward because I, I have identified my why. If you want to change your mindset, you got to change your why and identify what is the thing that's going to make you cry. So that way, when obstacles and and the journey comes before you, you won't give up. So here's a question for you, because, you know, debt can be an idol. 
right? All those things, all those nice cars on the beach, that that can be an idol. I remember uh, a good friend of mine, he came from a very nice, he was, he was in ministry like I was at the time. And uh, I guess we're all in ministry, but anyway, you know what I mean? I was working at a church at the time and um, he came from the nicest area, Toronto. And yeah. I remember saying, man, the cars, the houses, I said, there's a lot of wealth there. And he goes, well, sometimes, but there's a lot of debt there too. And that's true. You just assume people have paid for it, but they haven't always done that. How do you, because I mean, I follow you on Instagram. You're a fascinating follow along with a lot of, you know, I follow Dave, Rachel, a lot of other people over at Ramsey. How do you avoid making money an idol? Because it's one Mm. thing to have all the debt and all the toys, but not be able to pay them. Debt can be an idol, right? Accumulation Mm. status. But also having money in the bank, that can also be idolatrous. Where, Where in your mind is the line, Anthony? You know, the line for me is uh, when I think the money is mine. Here, I mean, here, here's the truth. It, it, it's not mine. Um, I am called to be a good steward of it. I am called to manage it. And I think when we start thinking and start re- and, and believing that this is my money, that's when money becomes an idol. The Bible clearly says that it's the love of money, you know, that is the root of all evil, not money itself. And so for me, um, even to this day, if I'm just going to be real with you on your show, I have to remind myself, boy, this ain't yours. God, mm. this is God's. He is trusting you to manage the other 90%. And so for me, money is secondary. Serving is first. Mm. What am I called to do? Am I called to help people? Am I called to serve people? Okay, cool, great. That's what I'm called to do. How, how am I doing that? And the rewards for doing that faithfully and good, of course, is I get paid for my time. But at the same time, I understand I, my goal is not just to have a million dollars. I, I could care less if I had a million dollars, but I didn't help anyone. I want to help as many people as I possibly can. I want to share my story, my testimony with as many people as I possibly can. If I focus on that, that means I am focused on uh, my calling and what God has born, what created me to do. And then in rewards for that, God is saying, okay, hey, here is some compensation for your time. Um, but every time I, I do look at my bank account, I'm going to be honest. I mean, it, it you do smile, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, but you, you smile because it's like, wow, I own my car. You know, I own my house. I own this. I own that. Wow. This is great. But for me, I have to remind myself, okay, this is not the goal. The goal is that when you pass, I'm leaving my kids with wealth, joy, peace, freedom, legacy, wisdom. And when I meet Jesus Christ, his first question is not going to be, how much money did you make? How much money did you save? How much money did you invest? I think his first question is going to be, did you do what I created you to do? And did you do it well? And for me, that's my main goal. Anything else, seek ye first the kingdom and then all else. If I'm just doing that part, that's the reward. And that's how I keep myself rooted and grounded um, and focused. So I've lived without financial margin and I've had a bit of financial margin in my life. So the early days, it was like paycheck to paycheck. Don't let anything break kind of existence. And we didn't have like a stupid debt story, but still it was like, it was not comfortable. So feel free to cut this out. We can, we can definitely delete this from the interview if you want, but I want to ask you a question and it's personal. Um, I follow you on Instagram. You're a great follow. So I think you got what had to be a dream car close to a dream car recently And you had a bit of a wreck with it, like kind of went off the road and didn't even have it that long if I followed the story correctly. Yeah, about three months. About three months. And so Mm -hmm. it was was a beautiful car. I'm a car guy, confession. So (laughs) total respect, total respect. Right. What does it feel like to wreck a car that is paid for as opposed to if that had been a large car payment? Did you notice a Mm. difference? Did you feel a difference? I did. Um, I did. I, I felt a huge difference. Uh, I've never wrecked a car that I had financed. That was actually my first car accident um, mm-hmm. that I've ever been. Uh, and I think for me, and you don't have to edit this out. It, it, like I said, we're on your podcast. Yeah, just as far as you're, as long as you're comfortable. Yeah. Um, hey, I'll tell you the truth, uh, yeah. Eric. I was a little emotional because I felt like all of my money just went down the drain, mm-hmm. and. It took me about maybe five, six years to um, save up that kind of money to buy yeah. that kind of car. Uh, yeah. it, it was a Porsche Panamera. And so that's that's not a cheap car. Nope. My philosophy is, you know, uh, don't buy it unless you can 
pay for it twice. So that should let people know like, hey, he had the money. So, mm. um, but let me tell you, let me tell you why I felt different though. Okay, Here, here's the truth. Here's the truth. When I got to my hotel room, uh, because that night it was snowing um, and here in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and the police officer couldn't take me all the way home. So he only could take me up to the Waffle House, which, which was up the street. And then I had to walk about a mile and a half to two miles to a hotel room uh, because there was no Uber. No one can get me uh, home. Wow. So I went home, cried that night, was emotional. Like, man, I just totaled my car. Man, I, I, I worked hard. And um, I was emotional that night. Now, when I woke up, when I woke up, God said, you're still alive and you paid for it cash. So if it's total, <laughs> you're going to get all that money back. When I get home, man, I had, I'm just going through the story so people can really understand the power of this good stewardship. When I get home, I had no food in my refrigerator. Uber Eats were delivering. Uber Eats, I ordered some food from Uber Eats and there was a young lady um, delivering Uber Eats in 20 degree weather with snow on a bicycle, not a car, on a bicycle. Wow. When I see that, Harry, I'm like, I remember sending her a message via Uber, like, hey, yo, queen, you can, you can, don't worry about that. Keep my food. You go home. It's crazy out there. And she was like, no, sir, I need the money. I have three kids and I have to earn this so I can provide for my kids. Now, why am I telling the story? It goes back to why, I, how I felt about my car. I was like, no, ma'am, don't worry about it. I will fast today <laughs> uh, and I'll give some food some other time. You keep it and I will send you a tip. I sent her a $250 tip just to make sure she, she can go home. Don't worry about any money that day at all. I went on to tell some of my close friends um, in my circle of accountability partners what was <laughs> going on. And if you follow me, you also notice that very next day I posted about that. Um, and, and within a matter of not even two hours, uh, she received five thousand dollars in, in in donations and, and just like tips uh, because we wanted to help her get off. Here's why it felt so good the next day is because the average person living paycheck to paycheck in the world drowning by debt would not have had the freedom to honestly be a blessing and to serve someone else because they would have been stressed about I just got into car accident. I need to keep my money. I need to keep my resources. But because I had that car completely 100% paid for, I had a fully funded emergency fund. I had the proper insurance in place. I said, you know what, God? God has created me to be a blessing. And so when I did that, I felt so good. Like, wow, I'm going through something major right now. I just got mm -hmm. into a car accident less than 15 hours ago, but I'm still being a blessing. Like, that was so amazing to me um, because, again, it wasn't about myself. It was about pleasing and serving. And so I just wanted to just tell people like, man, it, it was hard to lose my mm. car. Uh, but it was also a great feeling. While I was going through something, uh, I was able to be a blessing to someone else. Now, let's be real right here on the show. Yeah, I never said this anywhere else. When I got my insurance check, they gave me $10,000 more than what I paid for. The car. Whoa. And it was because we, I say this all the time, cash is king. When you pay with cash, you're going to negotiate a price. And my tip is what I tell everyone. When you buy a car, you buy it the last three days of the month. Mm -hmm. And you go in there with a set number. And if you're really, really good, as long as you got the money, you wait to negotiate the last day of the month because everyone wants to close out the month and get their commission check. So that's exactly what I did. I told the guy. This is what I'm going to give you. And I'm paying for it cash. I can have it wired to you within the next two hours. And he literally waited until three hours before they were closing. And I sent him the wire for the, for the amount that I wanted. And so I had it for three months. And then when I get into a total, they send me back a check for $10,000 more than what I actually paid for it. So I took that money, added maybe about another five, 10 grand to it and went and bought an updated version of the Porsche Panamera, because again, it goes back to, I believe, stewarding well, then also to just trusting God in the process. And I think God just honored my heart, my obedience, and being a blessing to her when I was going through something. And God said, I'm going to take care of you. Dude, thanks for sharing that story, man. Car dealers, like I am a car guy. And uh, yeah. I got to tell you that like negotiating is one of my favorite things. This is my like lawyer that's still in me. So I took one of my sons out <laughs> to buy his first car. 
And like, we went through the whole strategy and we drove a few hours away and like he had a price. And trust me, this is a fraction of a Porsche Panamera. Okay. This is like entry level 20, you know, something guy paying cash for a car. And, uh, so it was, it wasn't a beater, but it wasn't, you know, anything, anything super fancy. And, uh, he, he's got a background in finance, uh, at college. And so he was harder core than I was. And Mm. I remember, you know, the guy was like, here's my price. I won't give his price, but here's my price. And it was very modest. And so the guy's like, yeah, we can't do that. And like, he goes, okay. And he gets up and walks away. And I'm like, oh no, like dad will throw it. You're paying for this, but I'll throw in 500 bucks. Like, let's get this deal. We drove three hours. Okay. So I want to do that. He's like, no, 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 it's okay, dad. So we got in the car. We're on the highway heading home. His phone rings. He's like, I'll meet your price. And we came back. He paid cash for the car. I'm like, dude, schooled your dad on that one. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, man. So yeah, I, I hear that, but it does feel differently. And you know, it's interesting having lived without margin and now, you know, we sacrifice for years and years. So we tend to pay cash for everything these days, but yeah. my goodness, the, the liberation that brings, and I feel like I'm less attached to things. I don't know. I yeah, just, yeah. It, it, it just it, means less. You, you go to sleep differently. You wake up on yeah. the first of the month differently. You, you, you even drive the car differently. You, um, for me, my neighbors are, are so funny. Um, they moved in. I never told them, you know, who I am or what I do, but then they quickly found out. And it was like, man, you're always washing your car, man. You're always out here in your yard. I said, man, you just treat things differently when you own it. There, there, there's more of a, I have to take care of this. I, I better take care of this because it's mine. It's not the banks. It's not mm-hmm. Capital Ones. It's, it's, it's not Citibank. It's not Wells Fargo. No, it is Anthony O'Neill's and I need to take care of it. And they laugh all the time at me because it was like, man, you got you, you kind of got us convicted. Like your yard looks better than our yard. And I'm like, <laughs> and when you pay cash, there's a sense of ownership to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, too, when I pull into my home, when I when I get into my car, um, man, I'm, I'm at a place of peace, you know, that wow, I own it. When I walk into my home and all the furniture, I remember financing furniture. And when I sit on my couch, I sit on that couch differently and I don't let my dog get on my couch. I'm like, no, it's paid for. It's mine. (laughs) So, I mean, I think when people really step back and think about it, it's just, you just walk differently and you have a a place of of peace. And and let me say this too, Carrie. I think a lot of people are on jobs uh, in particular careers not because they want to, but because they have to. And when you have financial freedom, when you have financial peace, um, you start walking and thinking differently, you know, um, and you'll start doing more of the things you love doing because you have a solid foundation in your private home. And that's one of the things that I really want to help people do is just really get that sense of financial peace and financial freedom so they can really go do what they want to do. Um, and, and, and you just walk differently. One of my good friends called me the other day. Uh, he and his wife got out of debt, put about a year's worth of savings in their account, started investing into their 401ks and Roth IRAs. Uh, when he put that year in their account, um, he told his wife to leave. He was like, leave, leave the job. You're not happy there. And we don't need this money. I want you to have freedom. I want you to have peace. And he said, Anthony, when my wife did that, our whole atmosphere of the home shifted. And he was like, wow, it is amazing how much Debt does prevent you from really having the peace and the freedom in your home. And now that we don't have the debt and we have financial peace, man, the house is just different. Our kids are happier. My wife is happier. I'm happier. And I'm like, wow, that's what it's all about. So let's talk talk to our audience because you had college debt as well. And I did too. Very, very minimal out of law school. Met a wonderful woman. We've been married 31 years. And uh, she's like, stop that. So we stopped it. We were able to pay it (laughs) off pretty quickly, which was awesome. But, uh, you know, and that was in the 90s. But but long story short, you know, you have business leaders listening who have lines of credit, both personal and operational in their business. You got a lot of ministry leaders listening, as you know, and they're like, most of them are not getting paid what they could be paid in the marketplace. And then you got a lot of young leaders. Most of the people who listen to the show are in their 20s and 30s. And so they're either, you know, finishing up college with some debt or they got a lot of college debt. You got a book, Debt-Free Degree. And I know you've got podcasts on that. And that's sort of one of your, your 
messages, but um, let's think about the two audiences we have listening right now. So you got students themselves, and then you got people like me, parents, right? Who okay. these days would be mostly Gen Xers or even some older millennials might be saving for their kids' college education. Um, let's talk about young leaders first. People who are racking up debt, trying to pay it off, going, but you don't understand, Anthony. I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to have a BA in psychology. I'm going to, I'm going to go to med school one day. I hope I got to have some college debt. What, what is, Mm. what is, tell us about college debt and what are the traps that you see? Well, well, here's the thing. When I hear people tell me, Anthony, I got to have college debt. I'm just like, ah, no, you don't. You don't have to have college debt because I think, the culture has taught if you really want to be successful, you have to go to school. And if you go to school and if you do not get a full ride, there's nothing wrong with taking out taking out student loan debt because student loan debt is good debt. Well, here's the thing. I don't believe in the term good debt. I don't believe in the term bad debt. I believe in one term. Debt is debt. Bottom mm-hmm. line. And so uh, when you really look at the stats, I don't want to give you my opinion up front. I want to give you the stats. Forty four million Student loan borrowers right now equal 1.7 trillion student loan debt. 1.7 trillion dollars in student loan debt. This is the second largest crisis in the world right now. Okay, then let's step back. The average person is going to graduate with about 35 to 38 thousand dollars in student loan debt. But then when you dive deeper, a fifth of these young people are going to graduate with a mortgage payment, but do not own any real estate. So they're going to graduate with $100,000, dollars $300,000 in student loan debt, but they don't own anything. They have a great sheet of paper saying that they went to this prestigious school um, and they are qualified to work. When here's the truth, um, Carrie, for me. We got to start teaching our young people different options. I know several people who went to prestigious schools, but they're not prestigious individuals. <laughs> and I know several people who who went to a community college, transferred and paid cash to go to their local in-state college, and they are prestigious individuals. I've never one time until recently walked into my doctor's office or walked into my lawyer's office and said, hey, what school did you graduate from before they gave me any um, advice? No, you're here because you passed the bar. You're here because you, you did the work to get here. I really don't care where you went to school. Just help me feel better, you know? And so for me, we got to start educating our young people. There are different options and not everyone needs to actually go to a four-year university. There's nothing wrong with going to a community college and transferring into a a local in-state school. There's nothing wrong if you want to be a welder, going to welding school. If Mm -hmm. you want to be a barber, going to barber school. Um, If you want to be a school teacher, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, then yes, you do need to go to a four-year traditional route, but how you start is different. It doesn't matter about how you start, young people listening. It doesn't even matter about uh, where you finish. It matters about how you finish. And I tell young people all the time, you want to finish with zero to very minimum student loan debt as much as possible. Mm. Here at Ramsey, we did a study and we studied over 10,000 millionaires, over 10,000 millionaires, average people uh, who have built a net worth of a million dollars and higher. And one of the key things that they said was that was preventing them from building their wealth was mortgages followed by their student loans. And so for me, it's like, how do we teach young people how to avoid this upfront? And so I tell young people, take student loan debt off of the table. So if you're listening right now, take it off of the table, just completely take it off of the table and then look at all the options in front of you that you can take to get it. If it means that, okay, instead of me taking four years to complete my degree. It may take me six. Great. It may take you seven. Mm -hmm. Still good. Now, Anthony, why is it cool that it takes me seven years to complete my degree when if I take out student loans, it's only going to take me about three years to pay it off? Well, the average person thinks it's going to take them about three years to pay off their student loans when they graduate. But here's the facts. Here's the truth. It's going to take you up to 12 years on average to pay those off. Now, people of the minority race anywhere between 20 to 25 years to pay off your student loans. So if if you're, if let me get this straight. I would rather you work seven years up front to cash flow, to get through college with no debt, than to take you on average 12 to 25 years to pay off mm-hmm. your student loan debt. Which one do you want? No, and I remember too, like, you know, it is, it is a little bit different cost of education. But when I went to seminary, 
Uh, we mm-hmm. were able, I was married by that point and I was working, my wife was working and between us both working, savings we had by that point, And honestly, a few scholarships and bursaries, I was a decent student. We were able to get through debt free. And at that time, yeah. the college debt crisis in the late nineties was starting to really escalate mid to late nineties. Nice. And I was oh. watching seminarians and I knew what they were going to make. And they're graduating with like 30 or $40,000 in debt. And I'm like, that's like a gun to your head. Like, how do you ever afford a house? How do you afford a car? How do you raise kids? How do you save for their education? Because I knew that that, you know, that wasn't like I'd left law behind. It's not like you're going to go work in a bank tower and make hundreds of thousands of dollars. That's not going to happen. And so I, I, I can see that. Do you recommend that students work through college if they can? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Studies are showing, Carrie, that on average, if you work 10 to 19 hours per week, our young people are actually graduating with better grades, right? They're actually more productive, uh, paying the pension, yes, inside of it. And here's why. When you really step back and look at it, they have to honestly go in, uh, report to leadership, report to someone as their boss. They got to deal with different personalities, different characteristics. They're having to actually manage their time. So yes. if they're managing their time with working, then this means it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow over into managing their study time managing their um, uh, friendship time. They're managing their time, period. So I recommend young people, even in high school parents, if you hear me right now, high school students and college students need to be working um, at minimum 10 hours per week to max 19 hours. And I say mm. in high school, I would say stay right around that 10 hour uh, time frame. Let them work four hours on Friday, a couple of hours on Friday, a couple of hours on Sunday. Because I really want to make sure our high school students and college students are focused on their grades. Um, I do not want a college student working full time as far as in uh, 18th, about 22. Work, work, work 10 to 19 hours because your, your grades and graduating college at the top of your class as much as possible. That is your number one priority. Uh, but when you can get the job, uh, learn how to make your own income, have uh, some kind of buy in to your future. Absolutely. Uh, we see a huge shift, not just in their grades, but even in their mindset. And they come out better productive and ready to hit the workforce when they graduate college because they have some experience, not just educationally, uh, but also within their career path. We hired a performance coach in my company to help with some recent hiring. And he added a new criteria in my mind, and it made sense as soon as I heard it. But he said, you know, not only look for the college degree, did you finish it? What were your transcripts? But did you work through college for exactly the Mm. reasons that you said, if you can manage your time, manage your priorities, keep your grades up and graduate while working, that's actually a sign of success down the road. It really is. So, so good. I like him. Uh, I need to meet him and interview him, (laughs) have him come on my show. (laughs) I'll introduce you. He's a smart guy, really smart guy. So um, let's talk about the parent hat for a little bit. Yeah. Um, So when we were young, we had, uh, when we were younger and our kids were growing up and we, you know, started saving pretty much from the time they were born for college. My wife and I both have university degrees. So that was a value for us. You know, we always had the mindset that, well, we'll, we'll pay for our kids' education. And he said, no, 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 wait. He said, make your kids pay for their education. You help. And the way that mm. worked out mathematically was, you know, because, you know, they're making minimum wage. So they're not, they're not, they're not racking in the big bucks, right? They're not doing startups that they're selling for millions. They're, they're working at like scooping ice cream and uh, helping out friends with odd jobs. So they're not, they're not making a lot of bank. So in the end, if you really looked at their degrees, which we were able to do debt-free for them and debt-free for us, we probably chipped in 90%. They chipped in 10%. But that 10% right. was as valuable to them as our 90% was to us. What do you Actually, think of that flip? I thought that was whoa. so helpful. And I'd, I'd love you to critique it. Like, yeah, make your kids critique. pay, you help. No, I'm not going to critique that. I mean, you, what? Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that is that is the most beautiful philosophy that I believe a parent should have. Um, because you're absolutely right. That 10% to them is massive. It is huge. Oh, yeah. It is, it's a lot of work. It's like no um, CDs, no T-shirts, no no new nothing. shoes, right? Because they got to right. put 50% of it toward college or whatever. Absolutely. You're going to get, you're, you're teaching them. Uh, to give, save, and spend. Those are the three things that I teach. Give, you're, you're giving away 10%. So that's going. Then you got to save um, as far as in for emergencies. Then you got to spend. And their spending portion is their college experience right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very important to teach them, hey, our responsibility as parents is to train you up in the way that you should go. We got to teach you 
that you're going to have to provide for yourself one day. And your college experience is helping you for your future. So you're going to have some type of responsibility and sweat equity inside of this experience as well. I think one of the greatest mistakes our parents can do is provide everything for their kids and then throw them out there into the real world. If you do that, you've just set your child up to fail because Mm -hmm. the world is going to swallow them because nowhere in the world will the world take care of them and provide for everything that they that they need. So, no, if it's 10 percent, if it's 20 percent, whatever they can give, make sure that they are giving. But then on the parent side, let me let me add this to it. Yeah, yeah. You're saying is so great. Um, here's why I tell parents, make sure that your child have as much sweat equity into it. Um, and parents focus on yourself. And let's say for an example, you're drowning in debt and you're not, you don't have any retirement saved for yourself and your wife or your spouse in the future, but you're putting all of your power and and your money and your resources into helping your child get through college. I think that's a big, huge mistake Yeah. Uh, because uh, the average parent is going to leave their kids with bills and with benefits, bills and benefits, benefits just being a simple insurance policy that takes care of the bills, but it doesn't really set their kids up to have wealth and land and legacy down the road. My biggest philosophy is if you want to help your child be successful, don't think about college. Think about what are you leaving them with if something was to happen to you this time next year, within the next few years? Are you leaving them with a bunch of bills, with a bunch of headaches? You know, going ahead and take care of yourself. Think about yourself when you turn 70, 80 years old. Let's say something health wise, you're going to need your kids to come and help you. Well, are you setting your kids up to when we have to help you? You know, you have no debt. Everything's paid for. You have some good uh, policies in place and some funds in place to where we can just come in there and physically help you. But financially, we're not responsible. Financially, we don't have to take away from our families to help you. And so for me, I'm telling parents, hey, as if you really want to help your child, college is secondary, making sure that yourself and your spouse have a solid foundation in place. But when you do get older and you need some help from your kids, you're not putting a financial burden on top of them. And so I always tell parents, take care of your debt, make sure you are fully invested. And then if you're doing that, then yes, help them out as much as you possibly can. But explain to them like, hey, I'm trying to make sure that when we get older, we're not putting a financial burden on top of you. That honestly, um, you're going to have some burden, which is expected. They have burden raising us, but money and finances will not be uh, that case. And so I know a lot of parents who are doing that now. And, and I'm screaming internally because I'm like, man, you're not really helping them. You're hurting them longer in the long term. I think that uh, there was a Ramsey study last year or the year before that showed that the average baby boomer uh, who would be 58 this year and older has saved on average $10,000 for retirement. So yeah. is that is that accurate? That's that. mm. Yeah, that's accurate. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. very accurate. Um, and then uh, I don't remember the studies on that part, uh, but it, it's sad to me that the average person has zero to ten thousand dollars saved for retirement. Yeah, but and yet it, those same people took out loans, mm-hmm. uh, took out Parent Plus loans to send their kids off to college, and they never step back and say, "You know what? Let me take care of myself." Uh, I get so many calls on the Dave Ramsey show talking about, "Hey, you know, my mom is in debt. She's drowning in debt. She sent me off to school. She's ready to retire, but she can't retire." And she's 78 years old. What can we do to help? I'm like, man, this is this is scary. So what would you say to the parent then who would say, okay, that's me. They're 35. They have $10,000 or $0 saved. They're 45, 55. Pick the age. Pick the demographic. And they're like, but Anthony, I want to I want to provide for my kids because I really think that education is a ticket. That's how we always framed it with the kids. But they don't really have the money to send their kids to school. What would your advice be for those parents and for those students in that house? Uh, Your parents are just like my parents. My parents didn't have the financial um, means to send me off to school. My father did have the GI Bill, which was great. Uh, But if he didn't have the GI Bill, my parents were were not in a position to to send me off to school. I think the greatest thing you can do is sit down and have an honest conversation with your kids. You tell them, hey, uh, one of my good friends um, here, uh, Christina, her mom and dad sat down with her when she was in the eighth grade and said, hey, listen, we don't have the money to send you off to school and we do not want you racking up debt because we know what debt does. So you have to get good grades. Your way to get into college is going to be depending on what you do these next four years. If you don't do good these next four years, 
You not going to the college that you want to go to is going to be your fault. We will help as much as we can, but the weight is on you, daughter. And she said that was the roughest, but the best conversation her mom and dad could have gave her. You know why? Because she not only just killed it in school for the next four years, every year she was looking up grants, scholarships, spending an hour every single day. She raised a half a million dollars <laughs> in grants and scholarships simply because her mom and dad sat down with her up front and said, hey, you know, we don't have the funds, but you have the means. Let me say that again. We as parents don't have the funds, but you as the child have the means, your education, your dedication, and being a good steward of your time. If you do this, if you focus these next four years, you will go to college debt-free. So not only did she go to her get through college debt-free, but she got her master's debt-free and went to her dream school, which is Vanderbilt, which Vanderbilt alone a year is six figures plus. And so I think for parents, no matter where you are in life, the greatest thing you can do is be honest and transparent and let your child know, hey, this is where we are. You have the means. We're going to support you. We'll get the tutors. We'll get you whatever you need to do so that way you can focus these next four years. And because of that, she was able to get her degrees. Now she's married, no debt, has kids, and she's passing down the same thing. And she said, Anthony, check this out. Me and my husband, we'll have the financial means, but we don't have the means. We're going to say the same thing to our kids. Like, hey, these next four years are determined on what you do. And so that way they're passing down the wisdom and the knowledge of what she has. What I love about that, because you said that at the very beginning when we started talking, and, and I think that was to some extent, my experience and my wife's experience is we never really talked about money. Like I learned how to tithe, but I was incredibly undisciplined with the other 90%. And then life kicks you in the teeth and you're like, oh, I better pay attention to this. Right. And, and you learn the hard way. And we tried to reverse that with our kids and sat them down early. I remember putting them on a budget when they were in middle school, because all of a sudden they wanted to buy clothes and everything. And I'm like, mm you know, th this is a bottomless pit. So we're like, okay, you have $200 for um, September for back to school. And then all of a sudden they're looking for sales and it's like, oh, well, I can get two of these shoes for the price of one. Maybe I'll buy those instead. And I'm like, now we're talking, now we're talking. Right. But uh, yeah, that's good. What other, because you got so many young listeners listening right now, what are, what are, what would you say to the 25 year old who's post-college, they have $50,000 in debt. They're trying to save for a house. Housing prices are going through the roof. They're going bonkers as we record this. Uh, you yeah. know, cars are expensive. Life's expensive. And they're like, I, I don't think I'm ever going to head. Maybe I'm, I'm priced out of the housing market. Maybe I, I got all this debt, credit card debt. What, what would you say to those leaders, Anthony? The first thing I would say is, man, focus on the things you can control and pray about the things you can't. Yeah. Okay, there's just certain things that we just we cannot control, uh, but there are a lot of things that we can control. And what can we can control? Uh, we can control how we look at money, how we deal with money, with our finances. Um, get a clear why, like I said earlier. Uh, get a clear vision of where you're going, uh, and just attack the debts. This younger generation, especially within the 20s, man, they are so hungry uh, for entrepreneurship. They're they're so hungry uh, for home ownership. Hmm. Uh, but I don't I don't fear the hunger of a solid foundation. I hear the hunger for money, uh, businesses, and, and homes, but I don't feel the hunger for a solid foundation. And I do not want young people to go out there and get all this money uh, from borrowing, uh, from robbing from Peter to pay Paul, and you, don't, you do not have a solid foundation uh, because eventually you're going to fall because if you're not building on something solid, you're building on something uh, Rocky. And so my number one thing is focus on the things that you can control and pray on the things that you can't control. Don't worry about home ownership right now. I want you to own a home when you're in a great position to own, actually own it and, and fill it. I'm not saying go pay cash for a house. But what I am saying is there's nothing like when you go out there and you get a mortgage payment and that's the only thing you have is a mortgage payment and you're living in your home. You have financial peace. You can afford the air bill that comes, the electricity bill, the, you know, the gas bill. You're not struggling to put furniture inside the house. I don't want you to be house broke because you have a beautiful home at a young age. Um, so focus on your why. Focus on your vision. Get out of debt using a debt snowball. 
and start investing into your future. Those are the main key things that I'm mm-hmm. really telling young people that if we can really get out of debt early on and start building wealth at a very early age, some of these young people can retire by the time they turn 50, 55 years old with two, $3 million and living off of the compound interest of that initial investment and then passing that $3 million down to their kids' kids. And so that's really the philosophy and the mindset that I'm in when it comes to the 20 and 30 something years old right now. Do you see any differences between how you've hinted at it? Gen Z and millennials are seeing money like millennials are now like mid 20s to 40 and Gen Z is really coming into its own. It's coming through college, getting out into the marketplace. They're they're working now for a few years. Are there generational differences when it comes to money that you see between the two? I mean, it's it's a little bit of both. I'm seeing this younger generation, Gen Z specifically, they're re- they really are trying to avoid student loan debt because they're seeing um, the millennial generation and generation before uh, the millennials, how they're just drowning in this debt. So we are definitely seeing this Gen Z. They're asking the questions. Hey, how can I go to school debt free? What can I do? Um, but that's on one side. On the flip side, they're very, very uh, driven by material things. So, you know, they want the nice cars, they want the Gucci backpacks, they they want the real nice things. So I'm just trying to find that balance of, okay, how do I teach them? You can have the real nice things, but that's not a priority. Your future is a priority. This generation, millennial and GZ are here. And I'm going to be honest, I'm a millennial and I have to remind myself this, like, boy, listen, you just bought a nice car. You don't need this Gucci backpack. No, 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 calm down. Hey, you just bought a nice car, boy. You, you don't need to do this or have this uh, because it, it's, it's always in front of our face. And so I have to remind myself, and that's one, one thing I'm teaching our young people is, do not forget your vision. Every decision that you make, every choice that you make, everything that you buy, is it getting you closer to your vision or is it taking you away from your vision? Hmm. And so not everything is going to be on par with your vision because you know getting a Gucci backpack is not going to get me closer to it. But if you have the means and you're still tracking forward, then cool. Indulge into something nice here and there because we all deserve nice things if we're working hard. Uh, but I think this younger generation is really driven by success. And I'm really trying to help them understand what is the true meaning of true success. And so that's the conversation we're having today. Anthony, this has been fantastic. Uh, where can people find you online? I know a lot of our listeners would already follow you, but tell us where they can find you. I mean, you can go to anthonyneal.com. You can find all my information there from social media pages. I learn more about my show, The Table with Anthony O'Neill, to where it's just like yours. We keep it very, very real. Yeah, you got a good YouTube presence too. You're killing yeah, it on YouTube. Yeah. And you're on a lot of the Ramsey channels on a regular basis too. Yeah, absolutely. And then from there as well, for all the parents listening right now, uh, you can uh, find my book, Debt-Free Degree. And if you have student loans, um, I'm teaching you how to pay off your student loan debts. Quick read about 80 pages long called Destroy Your Student Loan Debt. So these are two books uh, that are actually on sale Ta-da. right now. And you got them both. There you go. Look That's that. what I'm talking about. And this is, this is truly like you could read this in an hour. It's a quick read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It'll take you an hour. And if you, if you like the sound of my voice right now, you can listen to my voice for about 30 minutes and I'll get through the quick read and teach you how to pay off your student loan debt. Now, the debt-free degree, bear with me. It's going to take you about a good five days to listen to it. Uh, but I promise you, uh, great content. No fluff in these books, man. I, I told my team, hey, I don't want to write any fluff. I don't want to be a, a lot of inspiration. I want to be practical. The debt-free okay. degree book is what do you do from seventh grade through college? Every semester, every summer, what are the classes? How do you prepare for the ACT? It's the step-by-step guide that I wish I had when I was in the seventh grade because I'm even telling parents, take your kids on college uh, visits as early as the fifth grade. Start exposing them to something early on, not just what's the latest and greatest hip hop song out there, but show them something that they will start asking questions for in middle school. Well, mom, you took me to that big place. What was that? It was called college. What's college? Now you see what happens. Now you start having a conversation because of what you exposed them to. Fantastic. Anthony, can't thank you enough. Uh, and I look forward to doing this again sometime. Thank you. Thank you so much, Gary. Man, so glad to have spent some time with Anthony. Uh, you can get everything we talked about and more over at the show notes. You can go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 425 for that. And uh, I'm going to be talking about five ways to lead when you have no team or no money. 
no money. You got no money? <laughs> we'll talk about how to lead. I've had no money and had to lead. That's uh, coming up in what I'm thinking about. Thanks to our partners on this episode. If you haven't yet checked out the Right Side Up Soul Care series, do it today at worldvision.org slash carry. They just want to come alongside you. And remember, if you don't know where your church is at, it's hard to know where you're going. Get the Unstuck Church Assessment for free today at theunstuckgroup.com slash carry. Well, next episode, we've got Ed Stetzer coming up. This is a uh, this is a conversation, man. We talk about, well, QAnon, Trumpism, evangelicals, conspiracy theories, and evangelical reckoning. And uh, yeah, we kind of go there. And you'll notice I don't go into that territory very often in my writing or on this podcast, but I really appreciate Ed's voice. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to go there next episode. Here's an excerpt. So here's what he says. Um, when I served under President Nixon, one of my jobs was to work with special interest groups, including religious leaders. Let me say today, the Biden administration had that. That's uh, uh, Josh, Josh, uh, Josh Dixon. Uh, before that was Shannon Royce with the Trump administration or Paula White. Right? Everyone has that. Nothing wrong with that. Says we would invite them to the White House, wine and dine them, take them on cruises aboard the presidential yacht. And then here's what he says. Ironically, few people were more easily impressed than religious leaders. The very people who should have been immune to the worldly pomp seemed the most vulnerable, unquote. I hope you will find that as uh, fascinating and helpful as I did. And I just thought he has a great way of framing it. So we're going to bring you that conversation on the next episode. Subscribers, yeah, get it for free. Also coming up, we got Derwin Gray, Chris Hodges, a really open conversation about burnout and a very difficult time in his life. Louis Giglio, Steve Carter, Jennifer Kalari. Who else do we have? We have um, oh, Horst Schultze is coming back on the podcast. Scott O'Neill, who is the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers and New Jersey Devils, and a whole lot more coming up on the podcast. And now it's time for what I'm thinking about. And I'm thinking about those of you, because I hear from you all the time who are like, Carrie, I don't have any money. I don't have any team. So what do you do when you don't have money and you don't have team? I have been there. I started with like a half dozen people in a church and pretty much no money. Uh, I think I, I did three churches at the beginning, kind of did the circuit on Sunday morning. The smallest of the churches had a budget of $4,000 for the year, for the year. Yeah, not making that up. And uh, I think the mega church of 23 people had a budget of, and I don't want to get this wrong. I think they might've had a budget of 20,000. No, it was probably less than that. It was probably 15. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, they barely had enough money to pay me something a little bit for showing up and then to keep the lights on. It was it was nothing. So what do you do? Well, that eventually became Conexus, which today, even though I haven't led it day to day in six years, is a church that has three or four, maybe four or five actually at this point, thousand people who call the church home, a budget of two and a half million dollars. So how do you get from here to there? Uh, well, here's where you start. When you have no money, no people, cast a big vision. And the big vision, really, I think, particularly if you're with the church, should be, you know, tied exactly to Scripture. And the good news is there's lots of vision in the Scripture. Uh, if you're running a business, it's like you just got to believe in your cause because vision creates something out of nothing. You got to help people see something if they're going to be something. And the other thing to remember is that resources follow vision but never precede it. If you're waiting for the money to come in, it ain't going to happen. You got to start leading. You got to start with a really big sort of heart for the people that you serve, the people you're trying to reach, because resources follow vision. They just never precede it. Second thing you should do is raise your passion level. If you're not passionate about it, I promise you, your team is not going to be. And no amount of money can ever substitute for a lack of passion. You know as well as I do, there are declining organizations, declining institutions, declining churches, that have a million dollars in the bank and no vision. And guess what? Because they have no vision, they have no future. You can have a million dollars in the bank and have no future. And if you're disturbed by the lack of passion in your team, have a look in the mirror. Okay, third point, start with who you have. Yeah, you're imagining the dream team. And if I can only get this guy on, if I can only hire this staff, but I don't have any money, you know, dream teams don't randomly assemble, they're built. And you gotta look for the best leaders you have and start there. 
Fourth, focus on what you can do. It is very easy in a tough situation to focus on what you don't have. I mean, when I started this podcast uh, six and a half years ago, I was excited to get anybody on my podcast. Really fortunate to have Andy Stanley kick it off. Thank you, Andy. I continue to be grateful for that. But, you know, I was like, okay, who else can I have on? Who else can I have on? Who else can I have on? Right. And I'm focused on, well, I'll never have Simon Sinek on and I'll never have Adam Grant on and I'll never have these people on and I'll never have those people on. And you can get so in your head. And of course, they've all been guests now, but you got to focus on what you can do. It's like, well, I know this guy. I'll have him on. Um, you know, we can do this this Sunday. We can do this this Wednesday. Okay, just focus on what you can do. Uh, because leaders who focus on what they can't do always miss what they can do. And then finally, believe this is only the beginning. Um, when a leader loses confidence, so does the team. When a leader gets bored, the team grows bored. And when a leader is passionless, well, it doesn't take long for a group to lose any sense of enthusiasm. We are dealers in hope. And hope in the mission of the local church is never misplaced. So just a few thoughts on how to lead when you have no money or no team. And almost every inspiring story starts that way. I was listening to an interview with the founder of Lululemon. And, you know, he kind of drifted through different points in life. And there was a point where he was sleeping in the store uh, to save on security because they were almost bankrupt. And so he put a tent literally in his store so that he didn't have to hire a security guard. I mean, these these stories, when you really dig down, and, and again, longtime listeners, you know this, because we talk about origin stories a lot on this podcast. It's never like one day I woke up and a million dollars showed up and then a thousand people showed up and everything was awesome. It never starts out that way. Uh, it always starts out with a struggle. It starts out with nothing. It starts out with a dream. It starts out with hope. And if that's where you are, well, I hope this inspires you today. So that's what I'm thinking about on the heels of my conversation with Anthony O'Neill. Back next time with a fresh episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.